Hello, and welcome to Dance Talks. I'm your host, Andrea Cody, and today is June 20th, 2020, and my guest is Tracy Jackson. Tracy is the director of Intuitive African Dance and Drum Culture. She's also an adjunct professor at the University of Houston Dance Department, teaching West African Dance. Tracy, welcome to Dance Talks. Well, hello, Andrea. Thank you for having me. I hope all is well. It is. Thanks for being here. Tell us about yourself. Okay, I um, am the director and co-founder of Intuitive African Dance. Um, we've been here in Houston now 13 years. Um, I've been teaching traditional African dance and performing in the city now for about 12 years. And uh, just finished my first semester as an adjunct professor at the University of Houston in their dance department. That was exciting and fun. Great. Yep. How did you learn the dances? I learned these dances uh, back in, started learning back in 1995 after I finished law school, got married, and moved with my then husband to New Orleans. And I befriended Asetawa Amor Amin-Kun, who at that time and still is a teacher of dance at Tulane University. She teaches uh, traditional West African dance and hip hop. And she would invite me to her classes. I had never taken a dance class, um, never heard of, I think I may have had seen one performance um, when I still lived in Cincinnati, where I'm originally from. But that was it. Uh, went to get a great workout, you know. I just said, okay, let me go move, and absolutely fell in love with it. <clears throat> and uh, have, I've been going ever since. Very cool. Uh, tell me about the different things that your company does. Well, we... Uh, up until you know the pandemic started, we uh, have been teaching a community class, a weekly community class that started in 2008. Um, so we teach classes. We also do performances. Um, we do workshops for various groups, uh, in schools on down to uh, preschool, elementary, middle, high school, college, as well as corporate um, classes and events. Mm -hmm. What are the educational programs like? Basically, uh, they come in two forms. We can do uh, both a drum and dance interactive workshop. We usually do those for schools and colleges and because that way the participants kind of get up and have an opportunity to get up and participate. They have an opportunity to learn um, basic techniques on the drums. So we take a bunch of drums, we take shake arrays, the cowbell, and we give the participants uh, an opportunity to, to just learn some basic techniques. And we do the same with the dancing. Um, people can get up, we teach them a few moves of the rhythms. We also teach them the history of the rhythms. Um, and everybody seems to enjoy that. Yeah. Cool. What's your typical performance like? Well, the performances, um, let me, I'll back it up. Traditional African dances um, from this region, West Africa, which I believe has 16 independent countries, 
Our genres of dance focus mainly from uh, the countries of Guinea, Mali, Senegal, a few from Ghana. So we perform for, you know, people contact us for performances, I'll put it that way. So, you know, for different events, birthday parties, baby showers, weddings, um, you name it. So depending on what the event is, we try to cater our performance to provide specific meaning for that occasion. Um, we, our performances last anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes to an hour. You know, it, it all depends on what the person wants, what the school wants. So we try to cater to the needs of um, the event planner. Wonderful. What would you do at a wedding? So at a wedding, um, there are particular, there are two particular rhythms that come to mind. They are called Nyankadi Makru. They are always performed together. They are full moon rhythms and they are specific. The rhythm is specific towards choosing and solidifying a relationship with that person you have chosen. Um, the dance, those rhythms are performed both by men and women. Um, when you choose your mate and that is reciprocated, there is, there's a scarf tied around each person, and then Makru celebrates that union. So that's an example of a of rhythms we would do for a wedding. Cool. What, how would you describe uh, your personal style? My personal style, performance. Okay, so as a dancer, you know, all dancers know, uh, you know, dancing is athletic. So, you know, you have to keep your body conditioned. Um, and, and that, you know, I guess being a director and a teacher, uh, you, you multitask. So my performance style has definitely been a work in progress over the years. Um, in fact, during this quarantine um, process, I've just kind of had more time to focus on my performance style because, you know, obviously we're not performing and there are no regular classes going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had the opportunity to take a lot of classes online from different teachers and really just pay attention to me. I put a big mirror in my living room. I took, I have a mirrored uh, closet doors. I took one of them off and brought it downstairs and set it cool. up against the wall. So, you know, I can really look at myself and, and see, you know, what, what things I have to work on. West African dance, traditional West African dances are <clears throat> what I would say are spirit filled because the dances are danced and performed uh, behind, and they are rooted in specific meaning. And I think it's very important um, that your movement, you know, resonates with the meaning that you're trying to, to uh, express. I always tell my dancers, remember why you're dancing, remember the meaning of the dance, right? So um, that, you know, some people, you look at them and they're just like, oh, my God, how can they move so fluidly, you know? And then some people may have the technique down, 
but they have not released. They haven't gotten to that stage in their um, performance learning where they have surrendered to the movement and, 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 and let go of that insecurity, I would say. And you can get lost mm. in that sound of those drums and just let go. You know, I've heard some dancers describe it as you kind of feel like there's somebody else out there with you, you know? Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, these dances, these rhythms are centuries old, right? And they were designed to symbolize, symbolize everyday living situations in the villages, in the communities, some of which are religious, uh, that are rooted in, you know, spiritual or religious beliefs. So that's where that comes from. When you kind of surrender to that, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, get lost and your body is kind of on autopilot, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that you're using this time alone to spend more time with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, you know, my boys are now at the age where they're kind of doing their own thing. And so I'm, you know, I, mm. you know, before the quarantine, most of my work as an attorney was done at home anyway, even though I do have an office that I can work out of the nature of my practice does not require me to be in court often. I do a lot of brief writing. Um, you know, you can do that anywhere. So I was kind of accustomed to being at home anyway. Um, it is different now because before I was still running around with my boys when they were in school, but now I don't have that. So I'm filling mm -hmm. the void uh, of taking additional classes. Yeah, awesome. Who have you been taking classes from? Oh, man, uh, I call it the quarantine blessing because, you know, these uh, apparatuses, Zoom, all this stuff, Google Meet, you can take classes with anybody, anywhere. So uh, Yusuf Kumbasa uh, is a big teacher from Guinea. Uh, Bonfi is a teacher also from Guinea who has played um, and danced on Broadway. Uh, Jenaba Sako is from Mali. Um, she's great, you know, because they're within the West African region, they are different genres of West Af traditional West African dance. Each country, you know, has their own style. Some we we deal with the djembe and the dunum drums, but in other countries like Senegal, they also have sabar drums, they have patero drums. So, you know, it gives me an opportunity to kind of take more classes from people who I don't get to travel to and take classes with because, you know, they may not be teaching or even if I get to travel to New York and take classes, you know, that's one time out of the year. Now, you know, I'm taking, you know, three classes a week. So, Cool. And you mentioned before when we were talking that uh, you mentioned you'd taken a class with Debbie Allen's program. Yes. Debbie Allen during this has been um, showcasing all of her classes that she offers um, online. Um, and I've been able to take uh, Catherine Dunham technique classes. I think she has someone that teaches West African dance also in addition to other genres. So yeah, cool. it's just been a blessing. It's like, wow. 
Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, all of we have access to all of these people and all this information. Right. Will you please tell us about Catherine Dunham technique? Catherine Dunham, okay, as we know, she is a foremother of uh, one of uh, the foremothers. Pearl Premise would be the other foremother who kind of started bringing traditional African dance to the to the forefront in, in her performances. She was actually an anthropologist and and studied in different countries extensively. Uh, Haiti, I know, was one, and I believe she spent time in Africa as well. And she basically just developed a conditioning technique that uh, helped strengthen the body parts that make the body move in that spirit-filled way. Um, for example, in Haiti, where you have a lot of, of your Orisha dances that were carried over through the transatlantic slave trade, which is definitely dealing with spirit uh, uh, entities. You know, it's a religious art form. So your body, it moves in a snake-like way, right? And so her technique, her conditioning uh, exercises basically loosen up those muscles, your spine, your hips, um, to allow you to move in the in that manner, right? Mm -hmm. Undulation. Yes, undulations. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Great, thank you. Will you please tell us about the history of the different dances from Africa that you've learned about, like where they're where they're from, like why they were created, why they've traveled and stayed with us. Okay, so again, these rhythms are centuries old. They are always accompanied by live drumming, uh, traditionally. Um, and the dances and the rhythms were created to symbolize everyday living situations. So you have dances that symbolize planting and harvesting food. You have dances for, as we discussed, choosing and marrying a mate. You have dances for uh, preparing a woman to give birth. You have dances that are rites of passage dances for children, um, as children age into young adulthood. In traditional times, they would be taken from their families and, and you know, basically, you know, having classes on now you are about to become a young, a young woman or a young man. These are the things that are expected of you now. You are no longer expected to do these things. And they were taught about you know, what their responsibilities would be. So there were dances to uh, give uh, the, protect the children spiritually while they went through that process. There were dances that encouraged you know, them while they went through the process and dances that were performed after that process were, uh, was over. And of course, there are spiritual, religious dances, right? And so the beauty, what I think the, one of the beauties of this art form is, is it traveled um, as the transatlantic slave trade traveled. Um, the enslaved Africans took their music and their movements with them. And you know, I have a map that I use in some of my workshops where you know, it shows um, the enslaved Africans went to Europe, 
of course, the North American continent, South American continent, basically everywhere in the world, you know. And what happened was their traditional music and movements either transitioned, I would say here in the United States, the rhythms transitioned rather than fused with, because in the United States, the drum was forbidden. Um, with the exception of, of one city. But in other countries, the drum was synonymous with other musical instruments that were being played by the indigenous people that lived in those countries. So the, the genres fused, you know, the polycentric movements and the polyrhythmic poly, poly uh, sounds fused with what already existed. So, for example, in this country, the transitions, the drum was forbidden. So what you saw is the enslaved West Africans would transfer the rhythms to their feet, say the drum rhythms. They couldn't play the drum. They transferred it to their feet, tap dancing, right? Wow. The fast syncopation of tap dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, voice. If you think of, you know, gospel music, right? Those rhythms were transferred to voices or instruments. If you think of, um, and Louis Armstrong, of course, wasn't enslaved, but if you if you see the the the, the transition of the polyrhythms, he's playing it with a horn, right? Mm -hmm. You know, taking mm -hmm. one note and creating a thousand from that one note. You know? Yeah. So that's how it kind of melted out here in this country. In other countries, you had, you know, whole new genres of dance uh, born, you know, steel drumming in the Caribbean, uh, mm -hmm. rumba and salsa in, in, in your Latin American countries. Mm -hmm. So that is how, and that is why I think everybody um, can benefit from learning something about this art form because no matter what music genre you like, you know, there's something that can connect back to these rhythms. Mm -hmm. Do you hear African rhythms and music in classical European dance, uh, European music? You know, you do. You, you uh, again, the polyrhythms, the way uh, music is arranged, uh -huh. for example, um, you know, the, the drumming in African music. It's so interesting that you say that because, oh gosh, I guess it's been about six years ago, uh, we were contacted by the Houston Symphony uh. to do a performance with them. Um, they have an educational series that they do every year. And that year was the theme of, was an African theme. And they wanted, a da they wanted dancers and the traditional African drums to accompany the symphony. And I said, oh my God, how is this gonna work? And then they said, oh yeah, we only have one rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, right. So it uh, was interesting, but we actually did, um, Yankadi and Makru because they those rhythms are also played with the bilophone and the bilophone is basically a precursor to the xylophone mm -hmm. and they wanted rhythms uh, um, that you know that can be played 
but it, it turned out. So we were dancing to a symphony that cool. was accompanied with traditional African drums. And so was that music a fusion of, of genres, African and European, or was it um, like you were playing European music with that instrument? They basically patterned their musical arrangement around the drumming. Ah, yeah. So it was yeah. a new new song, kind of yeah. in, in taking the drums and adding all the other orchestral yes. instrumentation. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. yes, yes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It worked out really good. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and then you got to dance to it too. Yeah, yeah. Was your... What was that like? What was the dance? How did that influence it? It was amazing. It was well received. I was extremely nervous because I'm like, oh my God. You know, first of all, the timing, um, you know, the symphony plays a little slower. Uh, We only had one rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) But we did, and we actually had to do two shows. It, It turned out nicely. It turned out very nicely. Did it change your dance style? No, we uh-huh. perform the traditional movements. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. What, uh, what were those rhythms? We did Nyakadi and Mahu. Mm-hmm. How do yeah. they go? <laughs> um, so Nyakadi, the, the, okay, so with, with the, the drumming, so your djembe player, which is an hour-shaped glass drum that's played with the hand. That is the lead drummer. He leads the drum ensemble. He also signals the dancers when to start and change by playing what's known as the break or the call. And so the break for Yankadi goes... So you keep in mind you have four drums being played. You have the djembe, and then you have a set of three drums that are being played either by one person or sometimes they are broken down and one person is playing each of those three, uh, each of the drums in that set. Um, and so Makuru, which is the follow-up rhythm for Yankadi, is That's the break for that. Oh, cool. So those rhythms, do they repeat for the whole song? Yes, so you you have the basic rhythm, but there all there's room for the drummer to put their own creative style in it. As long as they come, they stay within the timing of the rhythm. So they the djembe player think of the djembe player as a lead vocalist of a choir. You know the lead vocalist you know will go everywhere. <laughs> you know yeah. the choir is the background, right? The same uh-huh. with the djembe. The doom player is the foundation. The djembe player, the lead djembe player has license to go wherever. You will also have djembe players who accompany the lead djembe player who will play a steadier rhythm 
and the lead djembe player kind of goes everywhere but comes right back to that break when it's time mm-hmm. to um, to change your step, change mm-hmm. your movement. So when they play the break, is that when you're supposed to kind of like snap back in and listen to like, okay, what's next? So your your ear is trained. So in, in our performances, we don't perform to count. So it's not a uh-huh. five, six, seven, eight. You're uh-huh. trained to hear the break. So within the phrase between breaks, you may have several, you know, different movements within that phrase. But then when you hear the break, you know, it's time to change to the next phrase in the choreography. Oh, okay. Okay. So in the middle, are you, is it somewhat like trance-like, like you're just in that moment? Yeah, you're you're dancing. You're uh-huh. you know you're you're moving you know to the yeah. rhythm. You know you have your choreography. And when you hear the break, you change to the next mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that tells us I think a little bit about your creative process too. Like you guys have this a plan of an order. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you know you there are specific movements to each rhythm that are like, if you, if you see a rhythm, I mean, if you see somebody dancing and you see a particular movement, you'll be able to identify that rhythm. Like, Oh, you see that movement, you know, that's doom, doom, bob. Each rhythm has specific movements that are unique only to that rhythm. Right now, Traditional West African dance, when you go to these villages and you see the village people dancing, they may only have two or three or four movements to to what they're doing. But you're going to see the signature steps. Now, those teachers, the teachers that I've learned from that I refer to as master artists who basically come from different um, countries in the West African region and performed with the professional dance companies for those countries. For example, Ballet Africans, that was the national touring company that they traveled the world touring. So what they did, and they came from different countries in that region, and they had to go around to all of those countries and learn the the traditional dances and to make them Uh, presentable on stage performance wise they would embellish and call it um, ballet style right but there are traditional movements within that style that helps you identify oh that's lamban or oh that's dundumba or oh that's soli Mm. so each rhythm has their own unique um, movements Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah it does (laughs) So what do you see in terms of the ballet style, like from going from a village onto the stage, how does it change the dance? And then does it go back to that? Back- basically the, the ballet style incorporates all the traditional movements, but adds a little flair to make it dramatic. Right. So, you know, when you see things, you know, with the hands and twirls and turns, though, that's ballet style. Okay. Choreography, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do that when you perform? Oh, absolutely. Because that's so who we're do, learning yeah. from. We're, uh-huh. we're learning from, from those choreographers. So that, okay. yeah. Yeah. Who are some of the master drummers you recommend? 
Wow. Um, well, one was here in Houston um, up until 2008. He's also from Guinea. I believe Muhammad is um, in Rochester, New York. Muhammad Diabe, wonderful djembe uh, player. Mange Sila uh, teaches djembe and doom classes. He's from Guinea, and I think he resides in New York also. Um, Mbimba Bangora, a wonderful djembe player. Um, and all of these guys are having online classes now. So you can research them and find out their schedules. It's a wonderful opportunity because this art form is, um, there's no like formalization of it. Like there are no notes that you can study and play like when you're studying in the piano. It's by ear. Um, and, it, and like anything, when you're learning, I tell dancers who, you know, who've never taken a dance class before, you know, when you never, you didn't always know how to walk, right? You know, when you <laughs> first started learning how to walk, you fell down a lot of times. So, you yeah. know, don't get discouraged, you, but you got to keep practicing, right? Um, you know, my sons who are now 18 and 20, um, they've basically been drumming for 15 years because I started them when they were like five or six years old. And when I would go to classes, I would make them sit with the drummers and I bought them a drum and I would make them sit with them. And, you know, 10 years later, they're in class and I'm listening to my younger son play the breaks for all these rhythms. I'm like, oh, wow, you cool. know it, you know, yeah, just something in. And the same with the dancing, you know, that's how I learned, um, when I was in New Orleans, before I moved here, I took classes with a Setawa, um, and I traveled to different conferences, uh, or I'll bring master artists in town, and we have classes. Awesome. Do most drummers specialize in one drum? Most drummers do specialize, but they usually know how to play both. Um, my, my sons can play both. My oldest prefers Doom. My youngest is the djembe player. Awesome. What have you been up to lately? Well, aside from, you know, taking classes, um, I have taught a few classes. Um, I taught a class in the park a couple of weeks ago, actually, in, in Emancipation Park here in Houston. Um, you know, all the stuff going on, um, the tension, and on top of being, you know, in this forced uh, isolation or, or forced state of stillness, I'll call it. Um, you know, I think people were uneasy, anxious, um, experiencing all kinds of emotions. I know I was, you know. Um, and Dan, this art form has... Um, I've been doing it now for 25 years as a student and a professional, and it is my go-to self-care help, you know. Um, it's like, oh, I need to dance. I need to hear the drum. I need to, you know. So I um, put on this class um, simply for healing and for releasing, you know, for people to come together, hear the drums. We danced uh, two rhythms, kakilambe, and Dundumba. And um, again, the beauty of this art form 
are the meanings of the rhythms. Um, Kakilambe is a, a, is a, re, a spiritual rhythm. I, I hesitate to say religion because the, you know, they have no formal names. Um, but if you see this, this rhythm performed, you will see a masked dancer who represents a spiritual energy that comes on, at a consistent time. I believe it's once a year, I, I believe so. And when the spirit comes, people go to the forest with their offerings, asking for blessings. We do the same thing in church, right? We, when you, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know what religion you may be, but you know, if the pastor or the priest calls you to come to the altar, you know, to give your prayers or ask for blessing, it's the same thing. So I chose that rhythm because I wanted people to set their intentions. You know, there's a lot going on in this world that that uh, needs to be corrected. So for yourself as an individual, for your family, for your communities, what do you want to see change or what do you want to see happen? You know, ask, you know, be clear, ask for those blessings, right? And then we followed up with Dundumba, which is a rhythm that is performed as the men go off and prepare for war. And, you know, we have challenges in our life every day. It feels like war, you know, like, so I use Dundumba to, you know, help people, you know, get your strategy, you know, get your, get your tactics down. How are you going to tackle this? So, you know, you have your intentions. Now we're putting them in action. We're putting them in play. I really believe those traditional rhythms, which tells you just how astonishing they are. These rhythms are centuries old and were born in a time when we didn't have computers, cars, electricity. You know, everybody had to plant and harvest their own food, kill, you know, you had to go kill the goat or the cow or the chicken. But the meaning behind the rhythms can still be implemented today, you know? And that that's profound to me, you know, that you can mm. use something like dance and drumming to help propel you through situations. And, and that's what I try to use the art form for. Powerful. Mm -hmm. When you were at Emancipation Park doing this, what were you asking for? Ooh, I was asking for clarity. Uh, I was asking for resolution. I think uh, this is a time, this forced stillness, it gives us an opportunity to go within. And, you know, my prayer for the world, and my, this has been my prayer for the world for a long time. If, if each person just looks in the mirror, like Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror, if each person just goes inside and deal with their unhealed traumas, I would say. If everybody deal, did that, what kind of ripple effect would that have in the world, right? I mean, think about that, you know? If everyone healed, and everybody has some type of 
trauma that you know something that happened in your childhood maybe you the were the younger child and you thought you weren't treated as fairly as the older child your parents didn't take as many pictures of you as a baby and you some kind of way internalized that and felt some kind of way right something that small that can affect your behavior as an adult if you really have internalized this and feel a certain negative way about it so whatever those are may be if we just kind of look inside and reevaluate and 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 look at conditionings that we may have grown up in that we are not aware of that has shaped you know how we see things right everybody has that you know we go back in and everybody looks at that and really analyzes it and says oh maybe i have engaged in this behavior, although it wasn't intentional. But now that I look at, I can see how maybe that may have been perceived as whatever kind of way. So, you know, that those are my things. That, those are some of the things I was thinking while we were in Emancipation Park at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and everyone thought it was going to be blazing hot. But we found shaded, shaded trees and there was a constant breeze going the, the entire time. So it was, it was definitely, I took that as confirmation of, yeah, this is something that's good. This is something that's good. It sounds like it was really wonderful. Yes, yes, it was nice. It and was right nice. on time. Yes, absolutely. Are you going to do it again? We might. We might. Um, one of my drummers is out of town for the summer. My oldest is on an internship. Um, so that's always the issue. You know, got to find drummers. So we'll see if cool. I can find some. Most definitely. Yeah. How have you seen African dance sh take shape in our culture over time since you've come to learn it? like how people understand it or get involved with it or react to it? Well, I, I would definitely say that um, just from our experience of performing in front of very broad audiences of every ethnic group and race, it is very well received by adults and children alike. Um, people really, really love the drumming. Um, and what I have seen over the years is, um, more and more the traditional, um, rhythms or drumming styles have been incorporated into entertainment. Um, you know, your artists, um, movies, I've seen television shows where they, you know, may have a, a African dance class going on in the backdrop, you know. So it's definitely um, becoming, um, it's coming to the forefront. Mm. Um, I've had educators um, on every level, uh, elementary, uh, secondary, and uh, primary educational levels in the dance community, um, the students and the teachers are looking to broaden the dance training into different genres mm -hmm. to, you know, people, you know, are interested, you know, of course, ballet and modern are important as well, but people want a broader 
foundation. Um, the, the class uh, at U of H was very well received. Um, the students told me, you know, we've never had a class like this before. Um, in light of the pandemic, um, they, they could, we could not have uh, our annual spring show that the seniors uh, produce choreography for, or, and, and we had to produce some choreography. So one of the professors came up with the idea of having them video a choreographed piece that they chose, and we did a Zoom meeting, and the pieces were displayed, and it was beautiful. Oh, it was wow. so creative. Um, and several of the students choreographed an African dance piece. So I was I was very proud and pleased of that, that they received it and liked it enough to, you know, choreograph a piece to some of the things that they had learned. Cool. Yeah. It's very yeah, neat. Yeah, I, I can see that what you're talking about with it coming really to the forefront, uh, dancers wanting that versatility. And mm -hmm. I think they... They see it, so they want it just because now they know about it, and it's yeah. within reach because yeah. you and people like you are giving it to them. And there's a pathway, like you, you see, you know, maybe so you think you can dance might not still be around when you grow up, but you know, Lion King Broadway tour is probably going to be around for a long right. time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like we've already discussed. Um, the, you know, polyrhythms, you know, that's universal, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we did a performance with African drumming in a whole symphony, you know, violins and everything. So there, it, it definitely has a place, um, anywhere in the world, you know, I believe, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's there, it, it's, uh, comprehensive, um, and people can use it as a foundation um, and, or explore more of the traditional styles of it. Mm -hmm. I, I question my own concept uh, that African dance is very improvisational, free-spirited, spontaneous, and yet there's this choreographic element that I don't know if that's just for stage productions or if that's in the root um, can you tell me a little bit more about that in a traditional way and then personally how you go between the two? Well, what I, uh, okay, yeah, that's definitely a, a difference between performance style and just learning, of course. Um, I would just start with the basic technique of African dance uh, and, and an, an analogy would be to ballet, Right where your body is up and your body pretty much moves as one unit, right? So what I mean by that, if you're up, you know, your, your whole body is going one way, right? You're leaping through one way, okay? In contrast, traditional African dance, as I've already described it as spirit-filled, you're rooted so your initial stance is going back to the Catherine Dunham technique. You have a bend in your knees, right? Um, which allows your back, 
and your shoulders and your head to move all of these different ways. You're grounded, okay? And yes, there, there is definitely technique because remember I talked about each rhythm has specific movements that are unique to that rhythm. So the rhythms, uh, I mean, the movements are performed differently. Um, if, and if I was in Guinea in December, and um, just for an example, I, um, we went to what is called a dum-dum-ba circle. A dum-dum-ba circle, drum and dance circle, is what I refer to as the original uh, soul train line, right? <laughs> Except you're in a circle. And you have a bunch of drummers at the top of the circle and then everybody else around. And you jump out there and start dancing, right? And so they, they were dancing and I could not recognize the rhythm from how the drummers were playing. I was like, I don't know what they're dancing. And then the dancer hit a movement. And I said, oh, that's so cool. I, I could tell by what she was doing what the rhythm was. Ah. Yes. So there are very specific movements. And to execute those movements, to make them look spirit-filled, mm -hmm. you have to get that grounded feeling. Which, if you're not an Af if you have not been trained in West African dance like I wasn't when, when I started, that's hard to do because we don't walk like that. We don't walk with a bend in our knees. You know, mm. we walk, you know, our <laughs> legs are straight, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So to get to get accustomed to being in that position and, and, and having the strength, the core strength, you know, your glutes and, and quads being strong enough to maintain your body while, you know, you're doing all this stuff. That's some work, <laughs> you know, it's some work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there's a choreographic piece, but there's also very much a technique piece. Like one of the signature movements from Doom Doom Ba, the uh, rhythm I refer to as uh, that we, we danced in the park, is this, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at your arms. The dance is for men preparing for war. So, you know, you have to remember these dances will mimic what you're doing. So if you are harvesting food, you know, what are you doing? You might have a pick of some, some, some in tool, right? So your dance movements are going to mimic that. Animals, your you know, this kind of stuff, you know, animals that are around, your body will imitate the movements of those animals. So that's where the technique piece comes in. Cool. So I've, how have you been dancing at home and how has it helped you? Like I said, I've been taking classes and I, I put my mirror here and um, so I can look at myself, you know, mm -hmm. and teaching dance online is different than teaching on a, in a studio because a, you have to keep your students' attention, right? So basically what we're doing is doing movements over and over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again. So it has enabled me to, you know, increase my memory 
on the movement. I'm at the point now, you know, after doing this for 25 years, I can hear a rhythm and recall movements to that rhythm. Uh -huh. But that's because I've been doing this. Not everybody, you know, if you're just starting, you're not, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. So for, you know, when you're trying to learn these rhythms, this is a wonderful opportunity. Um, if you have time to take the classes because, you know, you're, you're, you, you can, you know, I've been, I've been taking about three classes a week. I mean, and, I'm pretty sure we have time. Yeah. So tell us why we should do it. <laughs> Well, first of all, you're moving your body. Let's, let's start with that. You know, there's nothing better than, uh, there's not a better detox, in my opinion, than a bunch of sweat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you will sweat. And then depending on your level of interest in dance, period, you know, some people just want to come and move. Like when I first started this, I was not interested in being, a dancer that danced on stage. I was not interested in having a dance company. I just wanted a fun workout, you know? Yeah. And, and this was different because <laughs> what what dance routine do you do for to live music? You know, yeah. it was just like, wow. But then as I started to learn more, you know, it kind of started going in different directions for me. But not everybody wants that. Some people just want to move. Um, and some people want to do something different when they move. So if nothing else, move. And then, of course, if you are interested in studying, if you are a performer or if you want to teach, then, of course, this is an opportunity to study, you know? Great. Yeah. What's your personal motto? My personal motto right now, my mantra is, we're flow I'm flowing, I'm flowing through the moment, you know, um, because there are a lot of things going on that we can't control. So I like, I think about, you know, being in the ocean and floating on my back, right? And the waves, you know, kind of beating you up. But if you relax and don't fight it, right? You stay above water, you're still breathing air, you know, and you're, you're moving. You know, it might be a little choppy, might be a little uncomfortable, but if you just relax and go with it, you're going to be all right. So that's my mantra. Flow with it. Don't tense up. You know, don't get aggravated, you know, because that, that constricts your creative process. You know, it, it, it makes you a little bit more narrow instead of broad and I think everybody has to be thinking in a broad sense right now because things are so dynamic and you know every day you're <laughs> changing depending on what's going on so you you have to stay flexible right yeah the world is so different now yeah yeah in the blink of an eye <laughs> in the blink of an eye and we're not going back no I don't think so and it's a challenge. I mean, I think about performances. I think I think there there's a way to have performances. It's just going to be different. I mean, I think about live entertainment. You know, who doesn't enjoy going to a concert to hear their favorite vocalist? Well, you might be doing that from your living room now. You know, and 
you have to stay flexible because there are some challenges. I mean, you know, hooking up this call today, we had some challenges with the sound and all of that. So if you're uptight, you're not going to be able to overcome, you know, these unknown challenges that come up, you know? Do you have any ideas of what you can do as a performer in the nearest of futures? Well, you know, I like the example I gave um, that the U of H faculty did. Yeah. And it was flawless. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not versed on the technical part, but each, from what I understand, each student videotaped their, I think each clip may have been three to five minutes. And um, we, the, 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 the uh, director of the dance department highlighted each student, you know, had a bio in their picture and then showed their piece. And it just looked like we were watching a movie. But what was great about it, Andrea, which is, I think, one of, again, a quarantine blessing, while we were watching, we were able to make comments, right? Yeah. So all the people, of course, they had invited their families because these were seniors, you know, these were the senior dancers who, you know, didn't get to do the graduation thing. So their families and everything came and everybody's just making comments. So it it generated this connectedness, right? You know? So, yeah, that can happen. And you can sell tickets to that. I mean, you know, you have, you know, Zoom stuff where you have to have a password and, you know, people can still, I think, generate money. I mean, I don't think live entertainment is going to go away, away, but I think we do have to start thinking differently um, on how we present live art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I think this is a viable way to do it. Yeah. It, and it was seamless. It, it was great. It was, it was a beautiful presentation. Um, you got to know a little bit more about the students and then you got to see, you know, their artistic uh, creative process in their productions. So that that's is one so way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that it generated all of that communication among all the audience and with the artists. That is so cool. And they were watching too. You know, they were right along with all of us watching, you know, the names came up because we did it on, um, we did it on Facebook live. Okay. And, um, invited people, you know, to come. So yeah, that, that's one way. How cool. Yeah. Yeah. The drum seems pretty ideal right now because it's loud and it doesn't need electricity. You think, right. you know, we can space out pretty much anywhere and yeah. get it going. Yeah. My my son went to the park last night, actually, for Juneteenth. The mom, I'm, me and some of the boys are going to go to emancipation and, and just drum for the Juneteenth celebration. Nice. Yeah. Oh, we wonderful. do that sometimes. Just They just go out. And drumming, people will just come and sit and listen, you know, and sometimes people will dance, you know. Sometimes people will ask, can I, can I get on and try, you know. Yeah. Cool. Would you please tell us uh, some about the history of where you think um, the African dance came through the transatlantic slave trade? And slavery. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, 
like it's, it's really fascinating. Um, you know, you know the map that I have shows everywhere the enslaved Africans went, and they went everywhere: Europe, North American continent, um, you know, the Caribbean, South America, and so in New Orleans, because you have to remember, you have to know the history. You know, the state of Louisiana was not always owned by the United States. At, at, at different parts of the slave trade, it was either owned by the French or the Spaniards or the United States. It was like three countries. So under the Spanish and French rule during slavery times in New Orleans on Sundays, the enslaved Africans had the day off and they could congregate in what's known now as Congo Square, Louis Armstrong Park, it's still there. And they could play their drums, they could dance their dances, they could sell their wares. Uh, they could do, you know, they were free. That was their free day. And in that city, I lived in New Orleans for 10 years, of course, which is where I was introduced to this art form on, on, the, on a dance level. You know, and I would, I would, you know, you can feel it in that city. Um, I, I hosted a, a family reunion in New Orleans and I, I had a, my teacher's dance company performed and I described to the audience who were from different parts of the country, you can walk the streets of New Orleans and they speak to you because African dance in that city is very much alive and well today because it was uh, displayed during slave time, slavery times, it continued because it wasn't stifled or unencumbered even after the slave trade ended. Traditional dances from the continent and from Haiti and from different places where people migrated to New Orleans originated from, those rhythms and dances continue. In the city of New Orleans, you will find children who not only drum, they can walk stilts and they do cultural masking dances for different celebrations and ceremony. You know, children, you know, are mm -hmm. it, it continued there. So, you know, that's very, very important. You know, um, and that shows you how something can be allowed to continue if it's nurtured. In the rest of the country, the drum was forbidden. So you didn't see traditional African dances in other cities in this country. That's why New Orleans had this mystique about it. And everybody who would visit was like, ooh, you know, it's so different because those cultural dances and practices were allowed to stay in place and manifest. Wow. What do you think the process of repression, uh, how do you think it affected the power and meaning in the dance? Oh, I think it intensified it. I mean, okay, there's another, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Caporetta. Yeah, that art form, martial arts. Well, I don't know if you know that originated 
out of African dance, uh, the enslaved Africans started engaging in movements to release themselves from bondage, literally, you know, from the shackles. And so they created these movements in that you see in, in Caporetta, right? And of course it evolved to movements that became, you know, very fluid and dance-like and is accompanied by their own music. Mm -hmm. um, but dance and drumming was a way that I really believe, and you know, you don't you you might not find this in textbooks because this art form is not discussed like that, right? I mean, let's just just be real about it, you know. You, you don't see it discussed like that, but I truly believe that that was the outlet for the enslaved West African, drumming and dancing. And if the drum was forbidden, they danced and they sang. They transferred those rhythms to their feet and their voices, right? Um, and during those times, of course, they were introduced to different instruments like the fiddle, which of course there was a precursor in African countries. You know, you, you can look these things up. I think I mentioned the um, xylophone was the precursor of the xylophone. Looks just like the xylophone except it's wooden, right? Um, and the enslaved Africans mastered the fiddle and these other instruments and they kept dancing and singing as we know on plantations. Um, they were usually entertainment for the slave owners and their families, right? But it was a way that they were able to release, you know, able to uh, come or at least escape the oppression in a demonstrative way. Because you can, you can move your body and your audience may not know what they're looking, looking at, what it means unless you explain it to them. And I, I, I really believe that is why I'm here today, because that system, while whole millions and millions of people did die, millions and millions and millions more survived and kept reproducing, right? Even under those conditions. So I think um, this art form is very, very powerful. I have seen how children react to drums. I have seen toddlers literally trying to crawl out of their mother's laps, trying to get to a drum when they heard it. I have seen animals react to the sound of a drum. We had a, a, a birthday party for like a toddler at a residence that had a farm and cows and the drum started playing and the cow just walked up and stood there and was listening. He might have even been dancing a little bit. I couldn't focus all my energy on the cow, but it was amazing. It was amazing. And so, you know, that's how I know, you know, it resonates with anyone, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a hard-earned treasure. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely the, the blessing. I, you know, I think in everything, 
there's a blessing. You know, we may not understand it at the time um, because, you know, some things can seem so horrific. I mean, just like we're in now. I mean, uh, may he rest in power. You know, George Floyd's death has ignited conversation, you know, um, of course, protest and people speaking out. But I think more importantly, people are actually starting to converse with each other about some difficult subjects, you know, and that needs to be done. If we're, if we're going to seek a resolution, those conversations have to be had, you know, so at least there can be an understanding, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that power of dance is still so strong. Very it's much so. impactful, and it's so wonderful that you're sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that even before I started a company, um, when I was still living in New Orleans, I hosted a um, family reunion for my on my dad's side of the family. And um, I believe I told you I had my teacher's dance company perform. Yeah. And um, an elder relative came to me and she was crying. And she said, I, she said, I want to thank you because Pretty much no one in my family had ever seen African dance. That's how foreign African dance is to us as African-Americans. Wow. You know, we've been cut off from that history, that African culture. But she came up to me and she thanked me and she said, my daughter, who was an adult, she said, my daughter has been going through such a hard time and I have not seen her smile in months. And my daughter smiled tonight. And she said, I just want to thank you for that. So I knew at that moment, you know, even before I knew I would be performing or teaching dance class at a college, you know, I, none of that ever came in my, in my head. But I knew at that moment how powerful this, this art form was. Awesome. Yeah. When you prepare your sons or your students, to get out there and do the kind of performance the way you want it to be, what do you tell them as like their pep talk? Yeah. Let's close. Yeah, I let's close with the, that. I tell the dancers, um, you know, we are here to put a smile on someone's face and or to make them feel better. So, you know, artists tend to be ham sometimes, you know. Um, I call the dan I call them dancing divas. And that's fine, you know, but I always urge them to remember we're here for a higher, higher purpose. And if you concentrate on that, all of your needs will be taken care of. They will flow down to you under that umbrella. My guest today is Tracy Jackson. Tracy, thank you for being a part of Dance Talks. Thank you, Andrea. It was fun.